Good morning. Oh, that was a lively good morning. Wow. <laughs> I didn't say anything about being alive. I said it was lively. It was lively. A lively good morning. It is a good morning. Um, we're going to be continuing to look at Zechariah um, today, picking up at chapter 10. And allowing God's Word to continue to speak to us as we go through the book of Zechariah. We have uh, today and four more weeks of going through the book of Zechariah. And so I know as the, the weeks continue to go on, a little bit more challenging as we look at some of the prophecies of Zechariah. But again, I believe that God has a word for us uh, through chapter 10. And so the scripture will be behind me there on the screen, but I do encourage you to open up your Bibles. It's that opportunity to get a pen out and scribble things in the margin of your Bible. If you have your Bible open or take some notes of, of what some of these things that we read through in the Old Testament in some of the prophetic books and how we can apply them to our lives. Um, so right towards the end of the Old Testament, uh, Zechariah chapter 10. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. The idols speak deceit. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. My anger burns against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the house of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. From Judah will come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. Together they will be like mighty men trampling the mighty streets in battle. Because the Lord is with them, they will fight and overthrow the horsemen. I will strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. The Ephraimites will become like mighty men, and their hearts will be glad as with wine. Their children will see it and be joyful. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. Though I scattered them among the peoples, yet in distant lands they will remember me. They and their children will survive, and they will return. I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon, and there will not be room enough for them. They will pass through the sea of trouble. The surging sea will be subdued, and all the depths of the Nile will dry up. Assyria's pride will be brought down, and Egypt's scepter will, be, will pass away. I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we open up your word this morning to hear from you. We open up your word to learn the way that we should live for you, the way that we should walk through our life with you, the way that we should keep ourselves focused on you. Lord, your word shines before us. I ask again that you illuminate it to our hearts. You help us to retain what we hear, what we read. That your Holy Spirit speaks to us. That the river flows, the mighty river 
the Holy Spirit flows into our lives so we can taste and know that you are good. So we thank you for your word that we look at this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Zechariah 10 continues with a prophecy that's coming from God for the people of Judah. And he begins that by highlighting their current condition and talks about their current condition. And then from there, he starts to point them forward into what their future would hold for them. And then gives them a promise of what that future would look like, what that future kingdom of God would look like as they move forward. And we have the benefit, again, uh, being part of the people of God and looking backwards and understanding the coming of Jesus Christ. But we also have the, the benefit of being part of the kingdom of God and fully tasting and knowing how wonderful God is. It is the kingdom that is without end. It's a kingdom where everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a kingdom that has standards. It's a kingdom that we can partake of and understand the fullness of God. Now, I want to give you the opposite and, and highlight this morning where, where Zechariah is calling the people of Judah forward and pointing to them what their future would be. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, a kingdom that is ruled not by God. It's a kingdom of corruption. It's a kingdom that will, will be punished and a kingdom that will be destroyed. And then we have the kingdom of God. And so multiple times when Jesus was speaking in the New Testament, he multiple times referenced where there would be people who would be thrown out into a blazing furnace, where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so if I take that as well and take that forward to Revelation 21.4, where we get a picture of the final picture of God's kingdom, where we get to experience as followers of Jesus Christ a new heaven and a new earth, where he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old things have passed away. So in the kingdom of God, there's no more crying, there's no more death, there's no more, no more pain, no more mourning. But outside the kingdom of God, the Bible describes being outside the kingdom of God as being a place where there is weeping, where there is gnashing of teeth, where there is you never die, and there's never dying worms eating flesh. There's a fire that is never quenched. So hopefully you have a picture that there are two different places, two different destinations, two different directions that the world is headed to. And one is you're part of the kingdom of God and you're heading to the new heaven and the new earth with God and being with God forever, or you're heading to a place of destruction. And even as Zechariah calls out to the people of Judah, he's calling out and pointing them towards the kingdom of God. But he can't twist their arm and force them to go there. And nor will God twist our arm and force us as well. One thing that I can't figure out, and it's sort of getting on a soapbox item, is how somebody can read through the Bible and walk away and say that heaven awaits everybody. I don't see how people can get there. Yet I, don't, I know in modern theology, in modern Christianity, people will say that, that there's many ways to get to heaven or all people are going to heaven and don't worry about a hell. It's not, that, that's just something that's not there. And God loves us so much, everybody's destined to the same place. And I can't get through the Bible without scratching my head and saying, where does that come from? And how do we get there? Because I do read about Jesus' word about throwing people throwing people out and people that aren't following God and going to a place where there's a weeping and gnashing of teeth and throwing people out to the burning furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so with that, 
We need to understand as Zechariah's prophecy comes forth in, in Zechariah 10 that there is two destinations, and one is the kingdom of God where he's pointing people to go to, but there's also the choice to say, I don't want to be a part of the kingdom of God. There's a reality, and I've heard this phrase multiple times now, and I'm going to steal it, but the, the phrase is, we either now, in our lives now, say to God, thy will be done. So either now in our lives we say to God, thy will be done. Or at some point we will stand before God and God will look at us and say, thy will be done. Because God is never, ever, ever going to force somebody to live in all eternity with God if they have not chosen that they wanted to live with God for all eternity and be part of the kingdom of God. And so we either say now, I want to be part of the kingdom of God, thy will be done, or at some point God will look at people who do not choose to be part of the kingdom of God and say, thy will be done. And they will be thrown out to weeping and gnashing of teeth. So before we jump into Zechariah 10, I want to answer a question. If this was written to the people of Judah, why does it apply to us? If this was written to the people of Judah... Why does it apply to us? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Romans 10 and Romans 11, chapter 17, gives us a, a verse that will help us understand some of that. Romans 11:17. As a Christian, this is a, a verse that you should hang on to. Romans 11:17. It's in the context of really teaching us of what it means to have spiritual arrogance. And so I want to be careful with the verse because in the context... Paul is warning the people, the Christians, followers of Jesus, to not be spiritually arrogant or overly proud of the forgiveness that God has given to them. But there is a part of the verse in, in the middle of that section in Romans 11:17 that gives us a picture of who we are. And in this, keep in mind, Judah is the olive tree. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, are the olive tree. So here's the verse, 11:17 in Romans. If some of the branches have been broken off, that some of the Jewish branches have been broken off because they, they didn't want to believe in God. So if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, that's all of us in this room as far as I can tell, you being a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the, share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. And the olive root is Jesus Christ, is God himself. So Romans eleven seventeen. if you ever wonder, well, how, how does this apply to me? Because me is, is them. And I have been grafted in. I, have been, I am a branch that was not part of the olive tree. And I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I was grafted in, smacked into the olive tree. There were other branches that were broken off. Um, now, if you want to do some homework, go read... Romans chapter 11 about 10 times over and you'll start to understand how we can walk cautiously with our with our spiritual walk and how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and how we avoid being come becoming arrogant as Christians because we are grafted in just because we're grafted in and that passage will say just because we're grafted in doesn't mean that God can't come along and break that branch back off and read through the passage yourself interpret it for yourself it becomes very clear in Romans 11:17 but with that, understand that we have been grafted in. Abraham has how many seeds? Trick question. 
It's Ab- how many seed? How many seeds does Abraham have? He doesn't have seeds. He only has one seed, and the apostle Paul brings that out as well. Abraham's seed. Abraham's seed. We have been grafted into the olive tree. We are part of this prophecy. And so I'm sharing all of that because I don't want you to look at things from Zechariah or Malachi or Jeremiah or Isaiah and say, well, that was for the Jewish people and and we are not the Jewish people. We need to look at it and understand we have been grafted in and we are part of the prophecy that Zechariah is bringing forth, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ. With that understanding, let's jump into Zechariah chapter 10 and get some things out of it for us. And I'm going to go through and pull out three things that hopefully will apply to all of our lives. And I'm going to start right at the beginning, uh, verse 1 and 2, and talk about real seeking, where we're really seeking the Lord. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And those who knock, the door will be open. So you ask. You seek, you receive, real seeking. And that gets back to Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. How does the whole chapter start out? Ask the Lord. Zechariah is saying to the people of Judah, and in turn, there, it is there for us, saying, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for, for rain, and he'll give it in the springtime. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. I don't know about you, if it rained at your house last night. I know it rained at my house. It was a deluge. It it poured down rain. And I'm sure there are many farmers out there who are asking the Lord for rain. And the Lord provides. And he gives to us as we need. But if we don't ask, or if we ask the wrong place, we don't get what we need. If we get into that verse 2, and that's the interesting part of this, where Zechariah starts talking about idols who are speaking, or diviners who are lying, or diviners telling false dreams, or diviners giving false comfort. Zechariah tells us of a people who are wandering like sheep and who are oppressed. So all of the things Zechariah is pointing to them and saying, look, God is here. Ask the Lord. Really seek the Lord and Him alone. Or are you chasing after all of these other things and trying to get your answer there? If you wake up in the morning and you get out your morning newspaper and you turn to the horoscope to find out how your day is going to be, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg of you, put it away. Burn it in the trash can. Cancel your subscription to the newspaper so you're never tempted again. Don't go there. Don't chase after evil to find out what is going to happen in your life. Real seeking is asking God. Start out your morning with the morning newspaper and read something out of Zechariah or something out of Romans and let God tell you how your day is going to be. Real seeking. Ask the Lord in the springtime and He will give the rain. But if you want to go after diviners, if you want to go after people who will speak lies into your life, if you want to go after people that will tell you dreams and all the fancy things that will happen to you, if you want to go after people that will give you comfort in vain, you will be like a sheep that is wandering and oppressed for lack of a shepherd. And I know there's a part of this here that applies to me from a shepherd perspective and standing behind this pulpit. I don't want to ever be up here giving you falsehoods and giving you phony dreams and phony fantasies that will never be fulfilled, and giving you false hopes, 
And I don't want to ever be in that position of leading you, leading you astray. And Lord, forgive me if I ever have, because I don't want God's, I don't want the next verse where God's anger burns against the shepherds and I'll punish the leaders. And so I'll stand up here and try and shoot with you as straight as I can shoot and let you know that we need to really be seeking God and going to God for the answers. And we can't be wandering around looking for answers everywhere else. God is not a genie in a bottle. If you think he is, just go buy a lamp at a store somewhere and take it home and start rubbing it and see if he pops out and gives you three wishes. It doesn't work that way. God desires our heart to be in tune with His and for us to truly seek Him and to seek Him out and to call on Him while He's near. We can't run down the street and get rain from the local grocery store. And if you think that you can get miracle water from Peter Popoff and have it sent to your to your mail, I'm not joking. Go look them up on the Internet. Don't go look them up on the Internet. No, don't go look them up on the Internet. But Peter Popoff will sell you miracle water. I don't know what the cost is because I won't go look. But if that's where you think that God is getting delivered into your life, you're looking the wrong place because you're looking after diviners that see visions that lie. You're looking at people that tell dreams that are false. You're looking at people that give comfort in vain. And miracle water from Peter Popoff is comfort in vain. It is not going to meet your spiritual need. Our spiritual need gets meet when we turn to God and look to God and we seek God and say, God, pour into my life. Let the river flow. And pour into my life. When Samuel was in trouble after, after Saul passed, I mean, when Saul was in trouble after Samuel passed away and King Saul didn't know what to do because now Saul was gone. Oh, how can I get an answer from God? The prophet Saul is gone. He had the opportunity to seek after God. And what did he do? He went and he disguised himself and he went and he found a medium and he went and found basically a witch who would Tell him what he wanted to hear. And right away, she saw right through his falsehood and said, Whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing? What are you doing? And you read that in, in 1 Samuel about that disaster of, of in Saul's life. And God removed him from being the king of the land. He ran down the road and, and looked for evil. Don't run down the road and look for evil. Fall to your knees and look up and seek God. Real seeking. Right in the middle of Hebrews chapter 11. Right in the middle of this chapter, and it's somewhat towards the beginning, is, is verse 6. 11.6, it's a chapter of faith. We know Hebrews 11 is a chapter of faith. We get this, these words, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who can, comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's a good promise to hold on to. He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Who are we seeking? We need to be seeking God. That's real seeking. That is right in the middle of a chapter of faith. It's right in the middle of a chapter where we read about people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The chapter talks about Sarah and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Faith drove those people to seek God. Faith drove those people to seek God, that they believed God and they sought after God. And that's where we need to be as well. Our faith needs to drive us and build a confidence in us that we seek God and God hears us and we go to Him. From real seeking, I'll move on to the next verses. From real seeking, Zechariah moves forward with the real solution. And God steps into this dismal area where He says, you know, my anger will burn against the shepherds. I will punish the leaders. But then we get into the beautiful promise, the beautiful, beautiful solution that God gives to us. Because God says... For the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the house of Judah, 
and make them like a proud horse in battle. They are beautiful words. And I'm saying they're beautiful words because God cares about you. God loves you. God wants the best for you. God has the greatest desires for for you. And that's the promise of God. The real solution in our lives is God. And specifically, we find the real solution in the next verse. From Judah will come a cornerstone. Who is the chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ. He's the real answer. He's the real solution in all of our lives. He is the foundation in the middle of the storm. The solid rock that we stand on. All other ground is sinking sand. And we stand on Jesus Christ. He's the tent peg. The the peg that holds everything together. There's another analogy in that, and I'm not going to that one, but he's the tent peg. Have you ever tried to put up one of those tents and you get up all the poles and the tent just folds up and collapses? I've been there. I have one of those tents. You've got to put the four pegs in the corner, in the tent pegs. got to go in first. And once you have the foundation nice and solid, then I can put the poles up and the whole tent just stands there. Pull out the pegs and the whole tent falls down. Pull the Jesus Christ out of your life. It's going to fall apart. He's the real solution. He's the one that holds everything together. He's the battle bow. He provides protection over our lives. He's the king of kings where everyone will fall under his authority. That we'll be like mighty men trampling the mighty, trampling the mighty streets in battle. We are victorious because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has victory over the grave. Jesus Christ has victory over Satan. And we are his children and we stand with him as being victorious over those things. We can have victory over sin in our lives and trample that sin under our feet because of the power of Jesus Christ that rests in our lives. So often we want to live our lives like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. And does everybody know what Peter did in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was the guy with the sword. And when they came to arrest Jesus, this is is who I believe that we want to be. We want to be Peter where when something's going on in our lives, we whip out the sword and we chop off someone's ear. And we want to be like Peter. That, that I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to fix this and I'm going to get things the way that I want to be. And then we look back at Jesus and I'm sure Peter did. Whacked off, that, whacked off the, the servant's ear and then looked at Jesus and Jesus probably just shook his head. Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> That's what Jesus does to us too. We, we, we get in these situations and instead of seeking God, instead of going to the real solution, we get our sword out and we want to whack someone over the head and say, I'll tell you the way it's going to be. And I'm right there with you. I'll raise my hand. It's my first reaction. And God says, no, change that around. Your first reaction needs to be coming to me. Let me fight your battle for you. Let me fight your battle. I am the one who is victorious. Not you, Ralph. Not you. He's put the sword away, Peter. Put the sword away. This isn't the way we're going to fight this battle. And we need to make sure that we are standing for truth and standing for righteousness and standing for God and, and going against things in the way that God would want us to. We don't put on the full armor of God so that way we can march down the street and beat people over the head with a sword and cut off their ears. We put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, we will be able to take our stand and to stand. And we put that armor on so we can have faith and stand in our faith and not be blown over by the storms of life and blown over and worry where God is because we are standing firm on the real solution, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. And that's the way that we fight our battles. 
is putting on our full armor of God so we can stand in our faith and know what we believe because we believe in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again, ascended into heaven, so sat down at the right hand of God so we can be there with Him one day. And when we live in a day when lies become truth and truth becomes lies, we stand. And when people denounce our Christian values and say they're old-fashioned, those values shouldn't apply anymore. You should get with the get with the times. Get with the times. You should, you know, everybody's doing this. And then we need to say, no, I'm a child of God and I have values and I'm going to stand in my faith. When we're laughed at because we want to worship God, we stand in our faith. When we walk in faith, trusting God to answer us, we stand. In the movie Star Wars 1, The Phantom the Phantom Menace, Yoda says these words. He says, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. When we forget about the real solution, Jesus Christ, when we forget about the solid foundation that we need to stand on, we start to follow that quote from Yoda. We get angry. And when we get angry... We start to allow sin in our lives and we start to allow the darkness in our lives and we start to allow anger in our lives and we start to allow hate in our lives. And what do we do? We forgot about the real solution, Jesus Christ, and we forgot about the solid rock we stand on and we forgot about standing in faith, believing that God is there for us and fights the battle for us. And so we have a choice. Do we go to the real source, the real solution, and stand with Jesus Christ or do we walk in fear causing us to walk according to the flesh, leading to our own destruction, physically, mentally, and potentially eternity. Real seeking with a real solution. And where does that leave us? It leaves us with real strength. Real strength. Often I've heard this statement, and I've read this statement over and over before, that Christianity is a crutch. I should have brought a pair of crutches with me. And I know when that statement is made, it's made to be offensive. That Christianity is a crutch. I want to raise my hand and say, I love it. Christianity is a crutch. And I like that crutch. I like the fact when the storms of life are all around me, when things aren't bad, when someone that I prayed for still passes away, when there's a virus that we don't know if we should go or come or stay or put on a mask or take off a mask or if we should now this week I guess wear goggles or not wear goggles and I don't know what to believe I don't have to worry about that storm because I know I stand on the real foundation and the real strength Jesus Christ and so Christianity is a crutch and I'll take that that comment that is supposed to be an insult and wear it proudly because Jesus is our strength. He's all of our crutch, and he's way more than that as well. Zechariah chapter 10, verse starting at verse 6, begins a section, a passage of Scripture that talks about God's strengthening and his restoration and his powers resting in their lives. God does not reject. Instead, he, re- he accepts. Right? In verse 9, we talk about the strengthening of the house of Judah and saving the house of Joseph. God's a, a God of salvation, a God of restoration. I will restore them because I have what? I have compassion on them. God's love for us. They will be as though I had not rejected them. God does not reject us. 
God's love and compassion are for us and draws us in and pulls us in and holds us in. We're a church that is growing. We're, the kingdom of God is growing. Don't be fooled. Christianity is growing in the world. And people are being saved each and every day. And the kingdom of God continues to grow and continues to grow. We are like mighty men. We stand on the firm foundation. Our hearts are glad within us as with wine. So we're cheerful. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and we stand with the joy of the Lord. He never forgets us. He never forsakes us. He never leaves us. He's redeemed us. Surely I will redeem them. He paid the price on the cross for us. And even though we may be scattered and may be spread out all of the, all of the world, we still are all united. I don't know if, about you, but I have been in situations where I go up to a completely stranger, complete stranger, and all of us, right away, you don't even know what their name is, and you know that they're also a child of God. There's something about the Holy Spirit that just speaks to your spirit and speaks to their spirit. And immediately you know, I am standing in the presence of another believer. And then as the conversation goes on, you realize that they are a worshiper of God, that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they stand in unity with you. And, and that happens. And why? Because God draws us from all over, all over the world. And even though we are scattered, we're still one. And we're still one in being the children of God. He never forgets us, forsake us. No matter where we are lost, He seeks us out and calls us home. The chapter wraps up in verse 12. God will continue to strengthen us. I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in His name they will walk. We walk in the strength of the Lord. We stand in the strength of the Lord. It's the real strength, the only strength that we can rely on. When we had VBS a year ago now, a year and a month ago or so, I remember Doug was helping me with the songs uh, and one of the songs that we sang, um, and I believe the children actually enjoyed this song a lot, but probably didn't realize that it was published in 1887. And so they're singing a song that was quite old. And the song says, What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Jesus is our crutch. He is our strength. He, he is the arms that we lean on and we trust on to carry us through. We lean on God because He's our strength. We, when we talk about the battle is the Lord's, God is our strength. Jesus is our strength. When Paul is speaking of his thorn in the flesh, he says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, this is why, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I think, Paul, are you crazy? You delight in hardships and persecutions and insults and weaknesses and difficulties? And he says, yeah, I delight in all those things because when I'm weak, God's strong. And so if I'm having difficulties, it reminds me that God is my strength. When I'm having insults coming at me, it reminds me God is my strength. When I'm having persecutions come against me, it reminds me God is my strength. When I'm going through difficulties and I don't know what the answer is, God is my strength. When you're going through difficulties, what, what is your answer? Is it God is my strength? And that's what Zechariah is pointing the people of Judah to and points us to today, that when we are weak, God is strong. And when we go through all of those troubles and trials in life and we remind ourselves Jesus is our strength and He is the one that we hang on to, we have a God that is more than enough. We have a God who is our strength. Psalm 27.1, King David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?
I don't have to be afraid of anything, of anyone, of any situation. I don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. I don't have to be afraid of cancer. I don't have to be afraid of financial hardship. I don't have to be afraid of you know, something breaking in my house, a car breaking down, or the garage door not opening. I don't have to be afraid because Jesus is my strength. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. So what do we do with all of this? With Jesus as our Savior from sin, the Lord of our life, we live for Him. This only works if we're part of the kingdom of God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this doesn't work. Zechariah 10 does not work. The Lord is is your strength doesn't work unless you're part of the kingdom of God, unless Jesus is your Savior from sin, the Lord of your life. But with Jesus as our Savior from sin, the Lord of our life, we find ourselves with a real place that we can have real seeking, desiring God above all else, seeking Him alone. We know that He's our real solution. There is no one else that can save. By no other name can we be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And we know that we can walk in faith knowing that God is our real strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. The question that really comes back to each of our lives is, who are you seeking? Who are you seeking? Who is your real solution? Where is your real strength? And if all of those answers aren't answered with God, with Jesus Christ, we need to correct them. And that's where we're at today. Who are you seeking? Who is your real solution? Who is your real strength? Let's all find the answer. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, first I ask for your forgiveness for each and every one of us of all the times where we sought our own answers instead of seeking yours. We jump to our own conclusions, our own solutions, our, our own ways. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for finding our solutions in everything else in the world. I know I joked about seeking a horoscope, but Lord, so many different things in our lives. There's a self-help book for everything. And the only real self-help is you. So Lord, forgive us for seeking worldly answers to our spiritual problems. May we fall on our knees today, Lord, and cry out to you and say, Lord, hear my prayers. Heal my situations. We find ourselves seeking you, the real solution. Seeking you, the Savior. And the one who came to seek us when we were lost. Lord, help us to walk in strength. We don't need to be feeble and weak and worried troubled, walking in fear. Lord, we walk in your strength. Your joy is our strength. 
you are the one who is our ever-present help in times of trouble. So forgive us, Lord, of all the times that we have fallen short of who we should be and where we should be. And lead us down a path of righteousness for your namesake. Lead us down a path that always keeps us pointed towards you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your forgiveness. I thank you for your righteousness that shines forth like the noonday sun. I thank you for your compassion on us. That even when we fail, you are there to forgive and to draw us close again. But we ask for your strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to be with us throughout this week. We ask you again for that hedge of protection around us. Be with those who are traveling. Be with those who are shut in their homes and staying safe in the best way they know how. Lord, continue to give us your wisdom. Our desire is to love you and to serve you. Thank you for being our God. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and God be with you. And have a wonderful, wonderful week. Amen.